This is Grow and Thrive, a call to action. I'm Bria Marias, Learning and Development Manager on the Marketing and Communications team at Intuit. And I'm Moss Okediji, also a Learning and Development Manager for Marketing and Communications. On this show, we provide you with insights and practical applications to help you thrive as a modern marketer and communicator. Our guest today says a bottom-up cultural approach to finding audiences is the place to start. Maria Twina is partner and global head of Consumer X at Ninth Wonder. Maria was so excited to have you here today. Yes, welcome, Maria. To start, we'd love for you to tell us exactly what Consumer X is. So Consumer X is uh, really all those consumers that hide in plain sight, yet they can drive exponential revenue or fandom for a brand. And what we mean by the fact that they hide in plain sight is that um, they don't fall into a traditional bucket. So when when brands are segmenting their demographics, they're these are outliers, if you will. So in the case of the Hispanic market, many cases as it, Asian American as well is they're they're bilingual, bicultural. They're not easily sliced and diced. Um, they in many cases are English language dominant or proficient. So brands make the assumption that their general market messaging is reaching them. And it's a correct assumption. The general market message is reaching them, but it's not touching them. And we always make that distinction. Reach tends to be quantitative. Um, it tends to be more about just driving awareness. Touch is much more qualitative. And for, for there to be a touch and for brand connection to be made, there needs to be cultural relevance and linguistic relevance. And it requires a little more work, but you get a better ROI. So we make that distinction all the time. Consumer X are those individuals that can drive a greater ROI because they can drive advocacy and fandom for a brand because of their sphere of influence. And uh, Maria, can you let us know why you're personally interested in working with underserved audiences. Oh, sure. Yeah. So I'm personally interested because I am an underserved audience. I am the daughter of immigrants. I was the first born in the U.S. Uh, my father was from Spain and my mother was Cuban. And I was raised in New Orleans in the 60s and the 70s where there were no other minorities or multicultural cohorts within miles of where I grew up. And I had a very traditional uh, Hispanic household where the, the ethos was all about collectivism and family and community over self. My parents spoke Spanish to us. We spoke back in Spanish and the siblings only spoke English to each other. Mm -hmm. Then we'd go to school and we were taught in an American school where we were taught about uh, being self-reliant and the U.S. ethos of independence, right. and which is greatly informed by the Protestant work ethic and discipline and frugality. And they conflicted with each other. And when you're a child, you don't have a context for the conflict. You just know that you're battling your parents and it's not so much about language because that's easy to discern. You're either speaking English or Spanish, but it's about the culture and culture. When, when we, you know, we teach English as a second language and we never teach America as a second culture. And that, that's really the, the, the heart of a lot of issues with multi-generational immigrant families. They don't understand the culture. So I ended up studying psychology and then I got a graduate degree in communications and spent 20 years in general market advertising, just completely doing general market advertising. And 15 years ago, I came home from the grocery store 
And uh, my late husband started helping me unpack groceries. And he said, you know, you never buy the same brand of anything twice. And I looked at him and I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, huh, why do you say that? He said, because I just read a study that said Hispanics are very brand loyal. And my response was, oh, when you see studies like that, they're never talking about me. They're talking about my parents. Oh. And that conversation changed my whole career because I realized maybe I'm not brand loyal. Hmm. So if I'm not brand loyal, then if I look at the four P's in marketing, which one drives me to make a purchase at a point of sale? Is it the packaging? Is it, you know, the, the price? The price? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, what, what is it, right? And that changed my whole career. I stayed up super late at night just studying the bilingual bicultural market. It was when MySpace was exploding. Did a lot of research on why Hispanics were going online, why multicultural was going online. And my thesis for my psychology background, you know, I don't know how many um, studied Maslow and the theories of self oh, yeah. mm-hmm. right? But mm-hmm. it was really all about we need validation. Right. We need to belong. If we don't see ourselves in the literature and in the media, all of these individuals were trying to find where they could see themselves. And so they went online to see themselves. And actually, the digital world is their TV set, right? So I was working at McCann at the time, and I was working on something completely different. I told them I really want to focus on this. The future is the the bilingual, bicultural, and it's digital. And that's what we should be focused on. And um, did a study with MSN uh, Latino, and it was a national study. And our thesis was pretty simple. It was... um, These individuals are underserved, yet brands need to focus on these individuals because they can drive so much ROI for a brand. Because what happens in an immigrant family is that the children become the Sherpas for the foreign-born parents. Mm -hmm. They translate the language, they interpret the U.S. ethos, they inform Mm -hmm. brand and product purchases at a very, very early age. And it's not a behavior that changes when you turn 21 and you turn it off. Actually, in the case of the bilingual, bicultural Hispanic kids, their sphere of influence is much broader and much more diverse. It's not just Hispanic, it's their American friends and family as well. And this really drives home the point, Maria, that you talked about the fact that they hide from plain sight, because I can see how that is easily the case. Yes. And, um, you know, going online while marketers and communicators, you know, putting together their strategy and, you know, structuring it as above the line, you know, and below the line and through the line. And I'm talking about years ago, right? Years sure. ago when that was still the case. So yeah, I can see how this is easily the case. The question I have for you is, does that mean that underserved audiences are actually influencers within their family context? Absolutely. Yes. And I've seen that over and over again. Um, They're not when we use the term influencer today, we tend to think of social media influencers. Oh, this person has so many Instagram followers and this person has so many Facebook followers. It's different. These are micro influencers. These are individuals that are highly trusted. Um, They're part of their family and and term family, even the term family for a collective community is different. The family includes extended family, not just your traditional nuclear family. And they have played this role for a long time. So if brands know that, then there's got to be a better way to market to them. Um, We did a study earlier this year when our thesis was 
If we're collective offline, how are we collective online? Years ago, I had a, a client who said we, we ran this um, ad campaign in Spanish, targeting the Spanish language dominant, and we haven't seen a lift in our Spanish language sales. So it was a total failure. Mm. I said, well, we need to look at the data. Who were you targeting? Oh, we were targeting the Spanish language dominant female. So we looked at the data. And what happened is something that happens all the time and no one ever talks about, and it's called the bi-directional toggle. And what happens ah. is in a typical immigrant family, you have one PC or tablet, and the parents will ask the children, and they may be adult children, to search for them. So the, 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 they get on the computer and they search, and the search happens in English. So the first thing that happens is the search happens in English. Mm -hmm. Then the parents will say, oh, can you find it for me in Spanish? And if the, the child doesn't sit there and translate it, and the website doesn't have a Spanish landing page or Spanish content, they will use Google um, app or something to translate, oh. okay? Mm -hmm. Then the, the content consumption happens in Spanish. And is this because the parents want to actually read the content yes, themselves? Yes, okay. the parents want to understand the content, they want to read it, they want to be familiar with it, and then the parents will tell the kids, yes, I want to buy it or I want to sign up for that. And the kid gets the computer again, and guess what? The sign up or the transaction happens in English. So we've had search in English, content consumption in Spanish, transaction in English. Who gets credit for that? Oh, there goes attribution. There goes Oof. attribution. General market gets it, mm. right? So yes. it's, it's even online, it hides in plain sight. Wow. Wow. Maria, you have been working on this topic for a long time, and I was hoping that you could tell us a little bit about how Latinx and other bicultural audiences in particular have evolved. Well, the the big one with, with Latinx, uh, the biggest revolution that's happened, happened a couple of decades ago, but we're just catching up with it. I mean, mm -hmm. a couple of decades ago in the 60s and the 70s, when you said Hispanic market, you were talking about a first generation immigrant that was Spanish dominant, um, primarily an economic ex exile, not a political exile, um, maybe not as educated as Hispanics are today, a lot less educated. And that completely shifted. So 2010 was the first census report that showed that all the growth was coming from nativity, not immigration. So it's all from the second generation or the children of immigrants. So if, if you look at the market today, 55% of the Hispanic market is what we call that bilingual bicultural influencer. And 67% and were born in this country. Okay, so if you look at the total market, 67% of the Hispanic market was born in the U.S. If you look at the ones that are the influencers, it's that bilingual, bicultural 55%. Mm -hmm. That's comprised of two groups. The 1.5 generation immigrant, which is the immigrant that comes to the U.S. They're foreign born, but they come to the U.S. at the age of 10 or younger. Mm -hmm. So their primary socialization happens here. The second generation is born here with at least one foreign-born parent. So the 1.5 and the 2.0 are the influencers within, I would venture to say, all multicultural groups um, because they are the ones who discern the language and the culture. So the biggest shift has been that, mm -hmm. the, the growth of the native, the second generation. And 
I also wanted to make a point that there isn't just the one Latinx audience, right? What It's made up of many smaller segments. Can you talk about why people seem to miss this point, that there's nuances within the audience? Oh, I think they miss it because for years, the, the big media conglomerates, the Univisions and the Telemundos of the world perpetuated this, uh, what was reality at first, and it really became mythology much later, that the majority of the market was Spanish language dominant. Misinformation is the first piece of it. Second piece of it is a lot of advertising agencies that were part of that above the line Spanish language first consumer for them to pivot to the reality today, they'd need to do two things. They'd need to learn digital and mm-hmm. they'd need to learn the bilingual bicultural segment, which is a completely different segment, right? And they'd probably get less revenue because digital is more inexpensive than above the line advertising. Yeah. So I think there have been a confluence of factors that have driven mm-hmm. the, the erroneous um, beliefs that are out there now. But um, a lot of brands are starting to understand I keep spending all this money on Spanish language TV and I'm not getting the return I used to get. Well, guess what? You're not getting it because the market shifted right from under your feet and has been, has shifted and will remain primarily U.S. born for a long time. Hmm. Um, So Maria, I know that we can talk about segmentation all day. (laughs) However, um, I wanted to also understand especially for our audiences as well you know we've talked about latinx a lot and you also mentioned asian american are there other major segments that you know exist within the consumer x oh yeah so um we have multiple segments within consumer x uh young young baby boomers i don't know if you spend any time watching tv or just on your on your mobile but there are always it's almost like the the market went from millennials the 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 best thing in the world to um older baby boomers right where the farmers target the older baby and then there's that sweet spot of the younger boomers that have been kind of left out in this whole process so we think the younger boomers um we think um there's an opportunity with rural america a lot of rural Mm. americans are influential yet they kind of hide in plain sight too we have a couple of different groups um, that we call Consumer X, and we plan on doing more studies in the next uh, 24 months to unveil new insights about those cohorts as well. Great. Awesome. How do we reconcile wanting to be data-backed and mm-hmm. the fact that this is hiding in plain sight audience? So they're hiding in our data. How do we, how do we reconcile that? How do we approach the data and the finding of this population? Yeah, so a couple of things. I mean, there are definitely uh, data tools out there to help you uncover this target for sure. Uh, Claritas has the Hispanicity model where they divide the Hispanic market into five five consumer cohorts, if you will. The first generation, those that have been here less than 10 years and more than 10 years because they, they say there's a difference between that that community, which there is in terms of uh, Spanish language dominant versus preference, right? Uh, the 1.5, as we talked about, 
the second generation and the third generation. So you can actually use uh, Hispanicity at the zip code level and uncover your target at the zip code level by Hispanicity segment. Wow. And if you're if you've got a database of uh, your subscriber base, there's always an opportunity to go to your subscriber base. Say I'm refreshing the data for 2021. We'd like to ask you a couple of but uh, you know, more more pieces of information mm -hmm. to better serve you in return for X, whatever the value exchange looks like, um, and uncover it that way. Because in the case of many bilingual biculturals, they may have um, English surnames or American surnames that don't even sound Hispanic, but but they're bilingual bicultural. Or in so, my case, Amarias is my last name, and I don't read Spanish at all <laughs> and get Spanish exactly. stuff all the time. And, and I'm sure that makes you feel very validated because it's erroneous, right? <laughs> it's there's nothing worse for me than getting something totally in Spanish because it tells me brand X, you didn't care enough about me to even understand my level of acculturation. Mm. You know what I mean? It's just a negative brand experience. All right. Um, so could you share with us some best practices? Um, I understand like leveraging data and showing that you're you know, highly targeting your marketing efforts, but have you seen any best practices in the marketplace um, who is serving this underserved audiences in a cultural relevant manner? Oh yeah, there, there are many. One of the things we need when we look at the market, I, I don't want to leave anyone with the impression that you should never advertise to the first generation Hispanic, because of course there's value in doing that. What, I, what I'm saying is that from a prioritization, Mm -hmm. It's more effective and efficient to target an influencer and then make sure that they have the tools in language that they can share with their network. Got so it. if they're going to a website and you know they're bilingual, bicultural, and you know they're an influencer, how hard it would be to have them select, choose your language, in educational information about product X, Y, and Z, and email it to their, their oh. uh, Spanish nominate relatives or trigger something that says send a direct mail to these individuals and tell them it's from me. Got it. So they're co-branding yep. and they're and you're validating them as an influencer and the recipient is receiving something from a trusted source, right? Um, but when it comes to actual advertising, the, the best approach, and I've studied this for many years and have deployed it when we have best practices on this is to speak to them primarily in English, but we call it winks, wink at them in Spanish, meaning connect with them in Spanish. I, I call it the secret handshake. It's your fraternity or sorority handshake. It's like, <laughs> yeah, we're talking to everybody, but this one's for you, right? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't, it, it should be very organic. And sometimes it's language, sometimes it's a visual cue, but it's something that tells that individual, oh, they're talking to me. And it's the ultimate sense of validation. It's like that brand really cares about me. Um, and that's what makes makes individuals move. Years ago when we started doing this, brands would say, oh, but am I going to offend them if I speak to them? I said, so the, so the concern is you're going to offend them if you speak to them in language and in culture, in how they speak with each other. No, it's the ultimate compliment because you're reflecting back hmm. their life experience, right? Got it. Got it. So that's the best practice is to speak to them primarily in English and then but wink at them in Spanish, have cultural cues or linguistic cues in Spanish and make sure that that experience is seamless throughout their whole experience with the brand. So if you're going to do an ad that has the wink and then drive them to your website that doesn't have the wink, 
you're not going to have the best experience because that should be carried through, right? And um, if you understand that the bi-directional toggle is happening in their households, uh, best practice is always when you have a Spanish language page, if you're if you're gonna if they're gonna click on a button, it's gonna drive them to an English language page to give them a heads up and let them know that's happening. Right. Give them time to call their son or daughter and say, "Come help me." Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. Just, yep. It's just about treating this individual with respect throughout the whole engagement with your brand. What I'm hearing is a lot around empathy and at Intuit would actually pride ourselves on customer obsession and it's really falling in love with our customer problems. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you don't position the audience, you know, as the hero um, in your marketing efforts, it is like writing a letter to whom it may concern, Mm -hmm. right? It's not going to be impactful at all. Beautifully said. That's right. So you, we talked a little bit about obviously the the full language and getting it wrong is one way that um, that brands can get this wrong. What are some other flops that you've seen in terms of people trying to reach that that consumer X? Oh, there 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 are classic. Uh, classic examples, um, many brands, and I don't want to name any, will assume, okay, if I throw a whole bunch of Spanish words in my English mix, then I'm good. So just like Spanglish and, almost, like just swapping. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It, I, you know, I try to stay away from calling it Spanglish because Spanglish sounds like it's it's sloppy and it's not purposeful. Um, this is a this is very purposeful and there's psychology behind it what words do you use um do you use more verbs than you do nouns um you know a lot of us i think it's about 60 percent of us that were born here and are bilingual bicultural we're bilingual bicultural but we're not biliterate so you got to be careful how many words are you going to use in spanish if it's an ad that they're going to see on their screen or if it's a print ad or an outdoor board um i always go back to my youth and think what were the words that stood out when i was growing up outside of the words that have emotional resonance like you know familia and musica and those and that mija, are be, probably and mija, <laughs> yeah words verbs because i learned uh, Spanish through conversation only. So, levántate, siéntate, stand up, sit down. So, you know, you know, click here. <laughs> you know, you got to think of what are the words that will resonate from a structural perspective and from an emotional perspective. Oh, that is amazing. And I would love to continue to talk about this the whole day. <laughs> but we have come to the point in this um, show where we actually want you to give a call to action for our audiences. What are three actionable things that a marketer or communicator could do to better target and to market effectively to underserved audiences? So we'll start at the beginning, which is always a good place to start. Sounds like a song. Um, (laughs) The the bottom-up approach makes the most sense always. Don't make assumptions, right? Let the data confess, which is mm-hmm. what I think all of us here on the call really appreciate. The data will tell us, right? Um, so bottom-up approach, leverage consumer insights, okay? W- what are those insights? Um, and then try to connect dots. And if you can't work with an agency that can, um, there's a, a lot of research. And I did a study a couple of years ago on mobile app usage. And across the study, the bilingual bicultural were the ones most likely to over-index on mobile app usage. And we were in a meeting 
uh, going over the results and someone said, Maria, why do you think that is? And I stopped and I thought, well, from a psychological perspective, it makes sense that they over-index on mobile apps because as children, they had to be in control. Mm. And that's what mobile apps give you, control at your fingertips, right? So, I mean, if you, there's data and then there are the insights behind the data. So understand those insights behind the data. And finally, I would always recommend to think of this as not one-to-one marketing, but one-to-many, and not one-to-many in the sense of to whom it may concern, but one-to-many in the sense of you're talking to this consumer, but they will allow you to talk to their parents and their kids and their relatives and everyone else if your message and your information and the assets that you're providing in language and in culture are there for them, right? So I would say say those three. Yep, and what I'm hearing you say, Maria, like, so great and insightful is that we actually need to empower these folks to be able to make purchase decisions. It is about empowerment. Absolutely. It's about empowerment. Uh, It's about validation. It's about belonging. It's about everything. And the more they see themselves, the more affinity you will drive for your brand. Yeah, I love the the push to think of how to get to their hearts, to get to not just the information, but how to really connect to them in their bicultural, bilingual experience. And I'm just so mm-hmm. grateful that we've had to had the opportunity to have this conversation. Oh, thank you. It's been my pleasure. It's always fun to talk about this. It was great to hear from Maria about effective ways to reach underserved audiences that we as marketers and communicators might be missing. Is there anything that stuck out to you? Yeah, I think that one thing that I want to carry with me from this conversation is how we might miss really important insights if we rely only on quantitative data and how important it is to really connect with our customers, understand their behaviors and relationships from a qualitative perspective. And it takes getting out of our desks to do it most of the time, right? That's right. Yeah, behaviors. I like that. That really stuck out to me as well. Um, I think I also really liked the idea of consumer X, you know, as groups of people hiding in plain sight that could actually drive exponential growth, not just small groups. Yeah, it made me wonder what other customer X's we could identify. Yep, gotta think about that. That's it for this episode of Grow and Thrive, a call to action. We would love to hear from you. So drop us a note with feedback, questions, or ideas at a call to action podcast at intuit.com. And make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Grow and Thrive, a call to action is a production of the marketing and communications learning and development team at Intuit. Thanks for joining us.